So in honor of the fourth season of Deep Space Nine that we are starting to talk about this week, I have changed up our theme music. It is now peppier and happier. Is it? No, we don't have theme music. Oh, we could start singing theme music. Do you listen to the podcast? No. So what did you think? Uh, I liked this. It's a certainly not the direction I thought the show was going to go in. Okay, which direction did you think the show was going to go in? Well, I didn't think we'd now be at war with the Klingons, too. Well, we're not really at war with the Klingons. Well, you know, certainly the Klingons are doing... I mean, the Klingons are being Klingons to a degree, but they've never been this kind of in the way before. Sure. I guess I, I would say. And... In a way, I'd kind of forgotten about them, frankly. I guess I figured, you know, well, all the Klingon plots that we're going to deal with are there. I mean, it it's totally within the, you know, series to have that status quo even, sh- you know, changed up a bit. But uh, I didn't expect it to be. Well, I think it's an interesting question because I think you're right that it was easy to forget about the Klingons. You know, the Klingons were a pretty big part of, of the next generation, primarily yeah. because of the character of Worf. And, well, you know, elephant in the room, Worf is back. But the other thing that it's interesting about it is that I think Deep Space Nine, you know, didn't really focus on the Klingons. I think deliberately because it was a lot more interested in the Bajorans early on, yeah, building yeah, yeah. that up, and then also bringing in the Cardassians and sort of fleshing them out. So the Klingons were sort of, I think, at least in terms of the show done for the first, you know, three seasons. Just as Next Generation avoided stuff like, uh, you know, the Vulcans for a while, you know, and the Romulans, and you know, only brought them in later. Um, Deep Space Nine kind of didn't really do too much with Klingons to make its own identity, kind of. Yeah, I think so. And you know, the interesting thing is, so, so, kind of the behind the scenes stuff about about the fourth season and how yeah, it's different because of every well. Well, one of the one of the things that's that's kind of uh, uh, interesting, I think, about this is that this isn't necessarily the direction that Iris Stephen Bear and the rest of the writing staff wanted to go in. Okay, uh, they actually wanted to make the third season a cliffhanger, where it was sort of revealed that there were changelings on Earth, and it, Paramount did not want that. Um, Paramount very explicitly said they did not want a cliffhanger. And so they had to kind of change up what they were going to do in the third season because that's how they were going to lay the groundwork for this entire sort of idea about changelings on Earth in the fourth season. Yeah, I mean, which they did begin to address with the, you know, we are everywhere, you know, and all of that. Yes. But but they explicitly couldn't go in the direction they wanted to go in. And so they had to come up with a different way to go in the fourth season premiere. And also there was kind of a mandate from Paramount to to bring the ratings up because the ratings were dropping at this point. Okay. You know, Deep Space Nine at the time that it was being aired was not uh it was certainly doing okay in the ratings it was obviously doing well enough that it was on the air for seven seasons and there was never really any danger of the show being canceled uh that would come much later you know in the mid in the mid aughts when enterprise was canceled after four seasons but they definitely were concerned about the 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 performance of the show and so one of the ways in which they decided to go was picking up on this line in the Dia's cast where uh, uh, one of the characters said that the only real threats to the Dominion at this point um, were were the Federation and the Klingons. Yeah. And they, they picked up on that line and decided that that's what they were going to do. Okay. And so that's where this all comes from. And it's also – it was a good opportunity for them to bring in the character of Worf. That was another – that was another way in which they were hoping to juice the ratings. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, e- even now, uh, Deep Space Nine, the characters have not become iconic. Um in a way, like I didn't know any. I knew the name Cisco, and I think I might have heard Bashir first. Quark, of course. Quark is probably the only 
like big breakout character, I would say, from the uh, series in a way that at least I would know about. And uh, I don't even know if he was a breakout character. I think you primarily know Worf because he was in that episode of The Next Generation. I, I mean, I, I knew him. I saw his face on like TV Guide and things like that. Um, you know, it, it, if I knew one character from... Um, but but you know compared to the next generation cast like for example uh the other day Eric and I went to see a an improv show based on you know and it was based on next generation and you know you had everybody and they were all instantly recognizable i don't think you could really do that with uh deep space not well i think you could but i don't think it would work for a non trek yeah that, that's what i mean like you can have you know the original series sure everybody knows captain kirk everybody you know in the for next generation, yes, maybe you don't. You know, everybody knows Captain Picard. You know, a lot of people know Troy. A lot of people know Jordy as the guy with the eye thing. You know, um, Worf. Everyone knows. You know, so it's right. You know, I was a little confused as why Worf out of everybody, but you know, in a way, it also does make sense because you know, obviously, you can't bring back Picard. You can't bring back Riker. You know, you can't bring back. You know, there's certain characters who are kind of two. Well, and I also I also think that that one of the reasons why they decided to bring back Worf was twofold. Number one, Worf was a popular character. Oh yeah, I think Michael Dorn was willing to do it. Right? Yeah, that that's probably number one. That's the most important reason. But also, it does tie into the the Klingon arc as well. Yeah. You know, they're they're bringing back the Klingons. The Klingons are now going to be an antagonist, and so having Worf there at least makes sense for that. You know, I I don't think it would, and also a lot of the other characters w- would really have no reason to be there. I mean, you're yeah. not going to bring Jordy in because Miles O'Brien is there. You're not going to yeah. bring Crusher in because Bashir is there. You know, you're not going to bring Riker in. What the hell's he going to do? You're certainly not going to bring Picard in. I mean, Patrick Stewart yeah. certainly wouldn't even have done it. Even you know, there's no way, yeah, but yeah. he would have no role there. And so that's another reason I think as well. I mean, Data. What would Data do? Yeah. You know, I mean, what they, would they, Troy they, do? Yeah, right. There, well, Troy actually maybe could have worked because there's no counselor on Deep Space, and Nine. this could have been. But, maybe a show where they could have used her, you know, I, I again, thinking of episodes like Face of the Enemy, you know, you could, with with a staff that, you know, knew how to write character like this. Uh, now you're making me wish that they had done that because I think that Troy would have been a very interesting character on Deep Space Nine. I, oh, yeah. But particularly consider, I mean, put Troy in a room with Garrick. <laughs> I, I'm just imagining that. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. everybody, every Cardassian is lying to you. So you need somebody who can, you know, pretty much look at somebody and tell if they're lying. That would have been interesting. Yeah. And maybe that was the reason that they decided not to go with her because maybe that would make it too easy. Yeah, that could be. But I think that, you know, at, at least in this first episode, in this 90 minute premiere, yes. you know, what are your impressions of Worf? Do you think well, he works on the show? I mean, it's a, it's a slightly different version of Worf, I would say, and one that is, number one, fully within the character that we've seen in, you know, Next Generation, but in line with the sensibility of Deep Space Nine. I mean, he's a little more darker and conflicted this time. Um, this isn't a simple degree of, well, I'm in Starfleet, but I really am Clay, you know. Now this is even because Worf doesn't, you know, Worf is dealing with the fact that, you know, he has gone, he he has been able to criticize things that have happened on Klingon without criticizing, you know, the concept of Klingonness in a way. Yeah. Now I think he's beginning to question that, I would say. Yeah. Be, be, because we have, you know, what what Klingon is doing it isn't this isn't just corruption you Correct. know this isn't just uh, Klingonia um, this you know this isn't just internal corruption this isn't just an empire becoming decadent this right. is 
you know, making very stupid decisions for its own sake. This is, you know, this is a problem. Yes, I think so. And and interestingly enough, I think that, you know, Worf was always portrayed in The Next Generation as the character. We talked about him as a born-again Klingon a lot, yeah. right? About the fact that, you know, he comes to his understanding of what it means to be a Klingon from a very different place than Klingons that were born into that society. Yeah, secondhand. You know, he did not grow up on Kronos. He did not grow up in the Klingon Empire. You know, he grew up being taken care of by humans. He's someone who came to it later. And and you see that all throughout the next generation where he kind of felt uncomfortable with it at some points, even though he was very, very uh, willing to, I mean, aban- you know, essentially abandon his his sort of Federation or Starfleetness in some respects. Because, I mean, if you think back to an episode like, um, like Redemption, where he was, you know, he almost did leave Starfleet in that episode. Yeah. I believe it was that episode. You know, and so he's always been someone who, who on the, when it comes down to it, of course, he comes back to Starfleet and he comes back to the side of the Klingon Empire needs to change or it's going yeah. to, or it's going to atrophy. And I like the fact that that you know Deep Space Nine has picked up on that thread. And part of it, of course, is that Ronald D. Moore is on the staff, and oh, now yeah. you know he was the one who wrote the most of the Klingon episodes in the Next Generation. He was the one that was most interested in fleshing out that that society and those people. And now that he's on the writing staff of Deep Space Nine, he understands that they kind of go back to that idea and they say, okay, well, what would the Klingons do in a situation where suddenly the entire this, – this entire part of the galaxy is now facing an existential threat from a very powerful new force yeah. in the galaxy that no one knew about five years ago? What would they do? And – this is totally in line with that, I think. Yeah, with how I mean, this is going up to what was it? Heart of Glory was that that you know the, the, Klingon, very, the episode in the first season. Yeah, Klingons have been looking for a fight, and finally they have a great couple of fights lined up now. Um, I mean, this is a very, it's a very exciting time to be Klingon, and which is a very dangerous time to be anybody else, frankly. Yes, but I but I wonder if. You know, it's it's interesting because this episode portrays it really of two minds. I mean, the 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 Klingons. On the one hand, you could say it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that the Klingons would be willing to throw away the Kittimer Accords and just go off and 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 become the Klingons of the original series again. And I think that that you know whether or not that happens, I think that that would be kind of the wrong direction to go because we can't go back to that, right? No, this is a very different threat than the Klingons were in the original series. You know, the the the, the Klingons know the Federation much better than they did a hundred years ago. And the Federation and Starfleet know the Klingons much better than they did a hundred years ago. These are two, these are people that have fought alongside each other. These are people that have, you know, been to each other's ships, been to each other's planets. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a history there that I don't think is going to have to be, is not able to be completely ignored. And I think that's why it's such a smart choice to bring Worf in because he is going to be the literal embodiment of that. You, you know, you can't forget the Klingons because he's right there. I would say one of the things that really interested me is that, you know, we've seen Garon's entire, you know, political rise, for example, for, uh, you know, for to say. Um, it's very interesting to think what would have happened if, for example, Duras had been, you know, in charge during this. Would he be going on this? Would he be making this, you know, conquest? So in a way, it feels like the... It, it isn't quite, you know, a Wrath of Khan example where, you know, they've created their own monster, but right. they have made, you know, we are seeing that 
one of the main themes of DS9 is that the Federation may have been naive in some ways. I feel like this is almost another area in which it had been naive, you know? It had assumed that because they were at alliance with the Klingons that the Klingons wouldn't do anything out of left field. Right. Or that the Klingons would ask the Federation, you know, for permission in a way. I mean, in a, in a way, this is, you know— we focus, you know, we're focused on the Federation because that's what this show is. That's you know, and all of that, and we're viewing what the you know Klingons are doing as you know, oh, they're going rogue in a way almost. But that's a Federation perspective to have. This is the Klingons. You know, are the Klingons allowed to make a decision for the Alpha Quadrant or not? I guess is the question. And if yeah. not, is the Federation allowed to make that decision for that? Well, and I think it's an interesting question. I think it's going to have it's obviously going to have ramifications down the line because, you know, if we talk about the the entire setup for this this episode, which is that, you know, Galron thinks that he has evidence that yeah. the I mean, well, there's two major things going on here. I mean, you know, and it's kind of you, you forget that this happened in the episode, but one of the major things that that was revealed to happen in this episode is that there was a coup on Cardassia, basically. And you know, with the collapse of the Obsidian Order that we saw yeah. in Daya's cast, that created a power vacuum, and the Datapa Council, which is the, um, the civilian government of Cardassia, has now subsumed control over the entire the entire empire, and the Central Command, which is the military, is subservient to them now, and. You know, one of the open questions of the episode, I think, is Galron and sort of the Klingon Council and the military, the entire Klingon Empire, thinking that because they don't see that ever happening, because, of course, there really is no separation between the military and the Klingon government in a certain sense, Mm. right? There doesn't seem to be the sort of distinction there, um, which makes sense for the way that Klingons have been portrayed. Given their focus on honor on warriorness and all of that yes it would make sense that the people who are the great warriors would you know this is the place that votes military heroes in power right i don't think that they actually believe that a civilian government you know the civilian force could subsume the military and so they they reach the conclusion they say they have some evidence but who knows if they actually did that that this may just be a leap of logic on gauron's part and the klingon council's part that the 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 Cardassian military the Cardassian civilian government is is changelings now because there's no way that civilians could take control of the military yeah. from their point of view. But it also means that the the eighty years or the seventy years that the Klingons have been allied with the Federation has really not taught them something to a fundamental degree because they have been close allies mm-hmm. with a civilian controlled organization for all those years and they still think that at the end of the day the military is what's is is what's supreme in that situation well i i i wonder if they do just the klingons happen to have more contact for example with starfleet than they do with you know the well they would have more contact with the federation but maybe they talk to starfleet as its representative and they're more used to a military but um we also as you said we don't know what their evidence is we see in this episode they test all of the uh civilian council and assuming at this point that the changelings haven't figured out how to fool the blood test because obviously that's going to be a priority of things at some point um i I would assume the show would be remiss if it doesn't you know deal with that at some point but um and also and also frankly not to cut you off but that that very scene at the the very beginning when uh uh, martok who actually is is a klingon character that is recurring i love martok by the way um he becomes a very interesting character uh that 
you know, in the very beginning of the episode, he's meeting with with Cisco and and Kira, and basically pulls out his giant claw yeah, knife yeah, yeah. and is like, "Let's do this." And I like that Cisco and Kira are just kind of like, "Whatever," you know. But it 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 reminds us that this is a thing. Yeah, I was going to say that you know you mentioned that that was going to be a thing, and it seems like this is a fairly you know sta- now of course obviously you know the federations are going to do a simple blood test you know that's non invasive but you know yeah the admiral's not going to come in with a giant <laughs> knife and be like cut uh-uh. your palm open but as a very but, but as a dramatic as you know frankly as a weird uh version of a blood brother ceremony you know in a way that's a very striking scene yeah. um you know those kind of things you know it's obviously a very dramatic and you know visually but but um, i also but i also think it's an important scene because i think that it yeah. it, it shows that you know, Starfleet and and frankly Bajoran as well, you know, non non Klingons in a sense are not oh, as yes. you know, uh, uh, uh wilting flowers as perhaps the Klingons think they are because they don't they don't flinch at that. You know, Cisco's like whatever man and yeah. here's the same way. You know, they just cut their palms open and they go on with their business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh but we see that the civilian the council itself has not been taken over by changelings, but we also don't know if the changelings have done something more insidious. Maybe there are changelings in the government, you know what well, the the secretary that nobody bothered to you know take off the planet for example yeah yeah or maybe there are maybe there are changelings in the Klingon government. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I thought that that might you know be an interesting reveal if you know they check, uh, for example, if Gowron it turned out had been a changeling mm-hmm. at that point, and and which you know that's not ruling out a future episode, of course. But which on uh, the which on the other hand, though, I think that that would be difficult to pull off because from what we've seen so far, the changelings don't take over. You know. The leaders. No, of, no, of you know, they take over like, you know, bureaucrats or low level, you know, officials or whatever. Yeah. So there's that too. Either way, what I think I like about this is that it's in, you know, how plausible it is from any angle. I mean, it's, it, what it is equally plausible at this point that Cardassia had had a coup or that the Dominion is behind some kind of tricks. I mean, they, you know, what is making it difficult is that, you know, this threat could be, you know, one of two completely different things, but either way, it's a threat to them. Yeah, yeah. And I think it really, you know, at the end of the day, I think what the point of all of this is, and, and to a certain extent, this is all just set up as well. I mean, this is really oh, yeah. obviously going to feed into later later episodes and later seasons, but it, it, it's just kind of reshuffling the deck and it's showing just how much of an effect the Dominion is having on this part of the galaxy. You know, no, nothing can be taken for granted at this point. Well, I mean, and, and that's the other thing. Like, there is a degree to which the Dominion is letting everyone do their work for them. You know, we, we saw, you know, well, they're pulling the strings to some degree, but you know, I mean, the entire plan of, for example, on, on, on what, on that last episode where they have the, um, you know, we're just going to use this ship to start a war and, you know, then we'll have these two groups, you know, kill each other and then we're done. We're going to have, you know, the, this is a destabilization that whether or not the, 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 the Dominion, has infiltrated the Klingon Empire or the Cardassian Empire at this point. There's, you know, it almost a, doesn't matter. Exactly. It's a, because it's another thing on the Federation's plate. It has to deal with the more incidents it's going to deal with, the fewer resources it's going to be able to, you know, put at each one, and eventually one's going to fall, and you know, then then the next. And I do, you know, I think it's, I think I do think it's interesting as well that the Dominion, so far at least that we've seen, has not not really directly tried yeah. to 
like fuck with the Federation to some degree. I mean, they did try and start the war with the Zenkithi, but whatever. I mean, we don't know who the Zenkithi are, right? Like, yeah. We, you know, they, they haven't tried to, to get, um, you know, they haven't used the Federation to go after the Klingons. They've used the, they, they may have used the Klingons or they may have used the Cardassians to go after the Federation, but they're not using the Federation to go after like the large powers in the galaxy, at least that we know of. And I think that one, you know, and that's kind of feeds into it because I think one of the things is that, you know, the Dominion maybe does read the Federation as um, the force that would not do this because they're the ones who are trying to unite the galaxy to some Whoa, degree yeah whereas the, the klingons the, the romulans the Cardassians are all looking out for themselves first and foremost if the feder you know the federation is good at the federation is allies and however they are they did make allies with the klingons who you know whatever the you know they've made an alliance with the romulans at some point you yeah. know we, we we the federation if the federation were being directly besieged it would number one call on a bunch of its allies it, it number one has a ton of allies um, yeah, there yeah. are a ton of planets in it it's maybe too big for the, you know, but they would be able to figure out a way to get everybody, you know, pulling through this together. I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, I, I would not be surprised if one of the, you know, climactic parts of the series turns out to be the Federation grabbing, you know, the remnants of everybody to, you know, get together and, you know, repel the Dominion or whatever. Um, right, right. You know, because. In a way, it's getting all of the neutral or wild cards out of the way first. Yeah, yeah. You know, that way, all right, well, Cardassia's, you know, in trouble. The Klingons are in trouble. Romulans, you know, are, you know, we're going to deal with all of those. And, you know, Federation is something you work up to. And also, I think, interestingly enough, to, to go back to the conversation we had earlier about the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, one of the ideas they had for this fourth ep- for the the opening opening uh, uh, episode uh-huh. of the fourth season was actually to have Vulcan leave the Federation, huh? Um, and they decided against that for various reasons. But I think, and I think that was the right call because yeah. I think that you need a united Federation at this point. I mean, you know, ha ha, United Federation of Planets, but you really do need them to be united. You can't have. Vul- I mean, Vulcan of all things leaving yeah. the Federation that would probably have caused a little bit of. I think that would have been the wrong that would have been the wrong decision on a on a storytelling level because now because that would completely split the Federation in half because you would have half going to the Vulcans and half going to Earth you know or whatever and you know because the Vulcans say something a bunch of people are going to listen right um, right it's too kind of big of a move for this point yeah I I think so yeah I think so 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 let's talk about. We haven't really talked about Worf a lot, though, and I think that that Worf is interesting in the in this episode because I think that one of the roles that Worf plays is 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 really intriguing because it's kind of against type for him in, in the way that he was treated in the Next Generation. Because you know, there's always this like joke about sort of the the, the you know the meta cuts of everyone saying no oh, to yeah. Worf, and in this episode, I think that that Cisco really does. I think he respects Worf. I think that he knows what his record is. And yeah. I think he lets Worf go and do his own thing. And, you know, he he finds out what exactly the, the Klingons are planning very quickly. Uh, doesn't Cisco even let him finally fire some four-photon torpedoes? Yeah, he does. Yeah. But, I mean, that's—it's interesting because the even though the—you know, you needed Worf on the Enterprise. You needed security on the Enterprise. They were dealing with, you know, dangers every week, sure. But its purpose was peace. At this point— Deep Space Nine and certainly the Defiant, especially, are not instruments of 
peace. They're not dip- diplomatic vehicles. Yeah. Well, the Defiance certainly by design is, yeah. like, you know, and so that's interesting as well. It's a warship. And, you know, the Federation is, if it's not at war with the Dominion quite yet, it's prepping for war. You know, it, it, it's, you know, the, the question is about how, host- how how open the hostilities are at this point. You know, it's still a little ambiguous, but they're gearing up for it. This is wartime. And, and I, you know, at the same time, I think I think one of the misfires of the episode is having this review. I mean, the, the space battle is, is the biggest that we've ever seen on Star Trek so far. And all of the space and, battles in this series have been very good. Like yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're pulling out all the stops to a certain degree here. But I think that one of the misfires of the episode is having Deep Space Nine... Uh, uh, be revealed to be like secretly like super armed. I, I, I don't. I, that didn't. I don't know. See, I don't I, have a problem with it necessarily. It makes sense. I wasn't surprised by that. Like I figured it would have had well, a bunch of. You're supposed to be surprised by it though, and that's kind of the thing. It's supposed to be this like you know. Oh well, deep space. They even make a callback to. Um, I think it's the first episode of the show where Martok says something like, "I don't have that many weapons. It's just shadows and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. sensor blips or whatever." And they said something like that. I think in emissary. Yeah, but I mean, I, you know, I guess from my view, you know, I knew that, you know, yes, at the beginning of the series, they weren't really, you know, speed, but this also, you know, three years later. And, I, I think for me, you know, it's more an indication that, you know, the, the third season of the show was really a transition season. and They didn't quite know where they were going. And the, the show is not serialized enough for it to really be a problem. But I just yeah. kind of feel like. It's it's a decision that it's a decision that was obviously made when they were writing this episode and breaking the season or whatever they were doing. It makes sense. I don't think that it, it it's out of character, but at the same time, I don't know. Like the whole third season, this was never mentioned. I, I like guess you, don't you see, know you don't see anybody coming and installing these weapons. It's, we, a, it's you know, a minor criticism, but here it is. We you know we've we've alluded to or talked about Babylon Five a couple times, and I remember there was one episode early on where. You know, they do something for the military and then they get a defense grid as like a as as a as a, yeah, as yeah. a token of their thanks. And then later on in the series, the fact that they have this defense grid becomes very major plot points and, and you know, we see them using it to defend themselves. So it's, you know, they get to the technology and they use it. We don't see them getting it in this. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. It's not like they, you know, you know, Starfleet came and some point and said, "Well, we're going to give you five thousand photon torpedoes to defend against the Dominion or whatever." Right, right. I guess for me, it was implied in the, you know, because we've been wasn't even at the beginning of the third season. They said they're beginning to arm for the Dominion, and we certainly see at the beginning of this episode. Um, They've been drilling all summer, you know. Yeah. What about that? What about that? That opening for the episode? Uh, that was great. I mean, I didn't quite know what was happening, but you know, it was. The show does action very well, I will say. And it, it, it was a good, like, we're back, you know, scene. Yeah. I mean, I want to, you know, there's a couple other things I want to talk about, but I think that one of the things that that's so good about this episode, and I think this is one of the best episodes of the show so far, because in a way it is kind of a reboot. Yeah. It is kind of a second pilot, you know? It feels like now we're beginning the real Deep Space Nine. To a, a certain degree, yeah. I mean, the the theme song is different, which I don't know if you know. Yeah, oh yeah, theme yeah. song and the credits sequence. The credits are different. This, instead of just, I mean, the old sequences was just like shots of the station. For beauty ex- shots. Yeah, Um. and now we're seeing... 
I mean, there's an Enterprise-looking ship there. There's ships going around. There's the Wormhole. It's a lot more dynamic now. Yeah, which is one of the things that they wanted to show, that this was really like a different station now. This is yeah. not on the outskirts of the Federation. This is not just kind of an outpost that no one cares about. This is really one of the focal points of you know, all of the galactic political situation at this point. But I also think that, you know, Cisco and his new look with his shaved head. Yeah, did it turn out that his hair was a changeling? Yeah. Um, this is actually funny because uh, apparently Avery Brooks, that's his look. I mean, Oh, that's how he like. I mean, he still looks like that to yeah. this day. Like I've seen him at conventions and that's what he looks like. And when he got, when he was choice. cast. No, it is. He looks uh, great. But I think that one of the things that's interesting about it is they, they, the producers wanted him to grow hair and, and, and grow the, you know, shave, shave the yeah. goatee. And, you know, he kind of had to like hammer away at them for a few years before they let <laughs> him do it. And it's the right choice. I mean, and it, it, but it, it, it works, especially in this at this point because yeah as a character thing he's starting to you know it, it, it's i mean i know it was you know it's it's a cliche of next generation that well you know Riker grows the beard and that's you know one of the that's when the series starts to get better um and you know while while that you know while there isn't as much of a change of quality here you know i mean it's always been a good show it's you know it's a kind of gloves are off moment in a way I, th- I think so, yeah. And I think that everybody realizes at this point that, th- you know, the, the the game is over and this is where things are really starting to get real in yeah. a certain sense. You know, I don't know. I think that, that you know, again, I mean, it, you, where, how are you feeling about Worf being on the show? I mean, it is kind of a, a, a status quo change. I mean, you know, he's a main character now. So he's I, yeah, I don't know how he's going to fit. Right. I don't know. I'm going to be interested in it. Yeah, because it's interesting because the show does. And this is the thing about this episode that I think is so great is that. It, it, on a on a plot level and on a character level, it matches up very well because yeah. you know you have um, they're using the characters that they have and the recurring characters that they have. I mean, there's so much stuff we could talk about. I mean, there's you know the the very opening of it. There's um, the the sort of way that the Klingons are revealed and all the ships, right? And we don't know what they're doing. There's Martok coming in. There's the Klingon searching Cassidy Yates ship, and of course Cisco is going to immediately yeah. go after her. You know, there's there's ways in which they use the characters to sort of get the plot forward and to get sort of the 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 meta plot forward in a certain sense and sort of the the, the season long plot. And also, frankly, I mean the 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 scene kind of at the end of the episode between uh, Garrick and Quark. You know, like that is one of the the defining moments of Deep Space Nine. With the root beer, yeah. And that is one of the, the the classic scenes. I mean, that's the one that people always go to when they point to Deep Space Nine and say, this is why it's a different show. I think you even showed that yeah. to me because I'd seen that scene before and had no idea what it meant. But, you know. And and it's it's such a good scene because it really does sh- – it's two non-Starfleet characters kind of – and non-Federation characters yeah. that are giving their viewpoints about the Federation and about – you know how conflicted they feel. I would say it's what I like about it is that it's a, it is a very ambivalent uh, thing because yeah, at this point, you know, Quark does have some legitimate problems with the Federation, but he can't say that he hasn't you know taken advantage, say you know, and got in you know in some ways better because of the Federation. You know, I, I, both of the you know. The Federation is dangerous to Quark because of its insidiousness. If it were something, what you know, the Dominion is easy because you know they're very easy to hate. You know, right? You can really easily hate, you know, the Cardassian, you know, the the, the Obsidian Order, for example. But it's hard to hate the Federation because they're so gosh darn nice, and they and, have such nice things, and they'll give you all these nice things. You know, and this is why I always 
uh, uh, get a little eye rolly when people talk about Deep Space Nine as sort of being against the ideals of Star Trek or sort of being a darker take on Star Trek. Because this scene, to me, is is such a clear and profound statement on the the real sort of beauty of of what Star Trek is and what they're saying about the future and about how we can all come together and make a better world for ourselves yeah. because you know here's here's a Ferengi right here's a here's a character who comes from a society that is you know, it's sort of so capitalistic that it's that it's almost hilarious. I mean, we talked about that in family business a couple of weeks ago, where this seems like a horrible society to live in, that everyone's taking advantage of each other, that no one is really believing in society to any large degree and everyone is out for themselves and everybody needs to take care of themselves. It's also an extremely misogynistic and, and, and mm-hmm. anti-feminist society. Uh and then you have the character of Garrick, who comes from a society which is very collectivist, which is very focused yeah. on you know elevating the individual in 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 sort of deference or or um, you know sacrificial to the state, right? And they're coming together and having a conversation about this over this you know you know very smart thing about the root beer and kind of saying this is just like the Federation, it's cloying, it's bubbly, you know. Yeah. They they really do like everybody. Like, what is this? You yeah. Know? And at the end of the day, what's happening is that they're giving the the non Federation perspective on the Federation, but they're coming out on the side of it because they're saying, you know what, the the subtext of that entire scene is the Federation is right. You know, everybody yeah. else, the Cardassians, the Ferengi, the Klingons, the Romulans, you know, all of those different empires, they're just out for themselves. They're just out for their own people. They're just out to protect their own interests. And hey, like at the, the end, Dominion. Right, like the <laughs> Dominion. And, well, and the Dominion is even more because of that because they don't even care about their their yeah. sort of, you know, uh, uh, satellite, you know, states or whatever, their satellite uh, 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 planets. They just care about the founders and it's all about protecting yeah. one. I mean, this is really like... You know, the, the Dominion is as fascistic as I think anything in Star of Trek gets. Of course. I mean, it, you know, it, just that vis- – I mean, visually, the uh, image of this this gigantic amorphous pool and that's the society, you know, that that's – again, uh, uh, that's as blatant a metaphor as you can get. Uh, absolutely. And so what I love about that scene is that at the end of it, they both say, do you think they can save us? Well, we hope so. Yeah. So they're even realizing – and I love that – you know, this is why I think that that scene is well, so important to sort of like reinforcing the ideals of Star Trek because it's really saying that at the end of the day, the Federation might be naive. The Federation might uh, uh, be a little too uh, hippy-dippy sometimes, but – they are looking out for everybody equally. And they do have strengths. And they do have strengths. And they're there. And, and the problem is that, like, you know, Quark and Garrick realize that the Cardassians and the Federation are not going to be able yeah. to stop the Dominion. Maybe only the Federation can. And that's because of their strengths. That's because of the fact it's about cooperation. It's about working together. It's about all of these things. See, what I'm also just talking about this now, remembering where root beer comes from, um, I'm just remembering the episode a couple of weeks ago when, you know, uh, 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 what the hell is his name? Nog passes his test and he's wearing the uniform and Quark asks him, you know, uh, you know, offers to get him a drink and Nog orders a root beer. And, you know, Quark is Quark treats that as, as, oh, my God, he sold out. He's become a Federation, you know, guy like so it is, you know, they're taking that metaphor even further. I mean, this is. Cork, I think, is very much of is beginning to come around to the terms, for example, that you know, Ferengus needs to change. And, yeah, 
you know, Garrick certainly thinks that some changes could be made on Cardassia. And changes already have been made on Cardassia. <laughs> exactly. Um, and also, let's not forget that, you know, Cardassia and the Klingons are apparently now at war. So, yeah. Um, you know, some change needs to be made, but Quark worries about what it means that they're using somebody else to, to, to do that in a yeah, way. Yeah. Which was, frankly, Kira's and Bajor's situation at the beginning of the series i mean kira was very much i i mean we summed up her view very much as kira knows you know she doesn't know if the federation is you know the ideal hope but it's the best hope at this point you know it's the only way they're going to get better you know it's out of out of what's available the federation may be the best one there yeah and i mean on the you know on the actual like in universe level as well i don't think that we can ignore you know what we know about the origins of the federation is that you know it it came out of a time in, uh, yeah. in Earth's past when everything was fucked. And, you know, as they started to go out into the galaxy and meet new species, you know, the 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 human... And, you know, in a certain sense, yeah, this is okay. This is sort of human determinism and humans are perfect and they built communities. Yeah. And that's and one of the things I never liked about Babylon 5 is that whole line about, well, the, the thing about humans is that they build communities. Yeah. You know, like, you know. but uh, it is true to a certain degree that that I don't think the Federation would exist if it wasn't for humans. And certainly, yeah. you know, we know that the Vulcans were a founding member of it. You know, we know the Andorians, which we have never really seen much of. Um, the Tellarites as well, which we've never really seen much of. But they did they did form the nucleus of this thing that in 150 years or 200 years or however, I think it's been 200 years at this point um, that the Federation has been around or over 200 years, that they really have a strong sense of identity, a strong sense of purpose. They know what they are and what they want to do. And Hey, come join us. We're having a lot of fun over yeah. here. And I think that's what, that's what, you know, that's what Star Trek is at its best. Yeah. And I mean, what we, you know, what we've been talked to, you know, they've talked about earth as this, as a paradise where everybody's now, now where everybody's gone soft a little. I mean, it's, it's no, it, 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 it's not a, coincidence that the beverage that they're talking about is a sugary drink that'll make you fat if you drink too much of it. Right, you know, that right. isn't really good for you. That's just like sweetness. That's just pure sugar. You know, it doesn't even have a caffeine rush to go with it. You know, it won't get you drunk. It's just going to be, you know. I mean, they could be, you know, they could be getting like Bashir drinking Bovril or something. I don't think that's very cloying. I don't know what Bovril is. Oh, you don't know what Bovril is? So Bovril is um, like a beef cube in hot water. Yeah. So it's like it's Broth. it's but yeah basically okay and like british people drink it i know i know listen if we're going to talk about things that are wrong with britain <laughs> i mean we can make a whole podcast you know do you we'll think... do one season what the fuck is up with their use of the letter u does anybody understand well that? in the seventh season of deep space nine they go back in time and Brit- they have all these extra U's and they have to put no, them they, somewhere. No, they, they, they kick the British Isles out of the Federation. Oh, that's great. And they shoot them off into space. Oh, man. We're sorry to any British listeners. <laughs> Please don't stop giving us money if you give us money. I don't really appreciate spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that, that at the end of the day, that that is, you know, I think that's one of the most profound statements about Star Trek that I think Star Trek has ever made. And I think it's just a fantastic scene. And the funny part about that scene as well is that it was written because the episode was running short. So sometimes it's good for things happy to accidents. run short. Yeah. 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 There are. So I thought it was funny that, you know, the show vaguely acknowledges Alexander's existence. 
Yeah. Because at one point he took out a photo and I was like, good. And then there was a part where I don't remember who it was saying. I think it was like O'Brien saying, you know, what about. Where the fuck is your son? You know, like, what about your son? And, I, you know, I, I, I was half ready for Warf's line to be, I have a son <laughs> um, who is now in back with his grandparents. Didn't we have an entire episode about how, you know, the grandparents can't take care of. Look, Worf is fundamentally selfish. Well, and here's my other question: Where the hell is Troy? That is true. Did too. they break up? Like, well, I think the because it would have made. S- I think they did. I mean, obviously, I mean, <sighs> Worf was off on Borat, the planet that we saw in Rightful Air, where you know the the Kales clone comes back. So he was like hanging out there for a while, doing his you know beating himself with sticks and so whatever. Like, that it could have made sense to me. I you know I I, I thought it would have been like, oh yes, you know. Alexander's back with Deanna, you know, and they're on. You well, know. Part, I think part that of the implication been. there is that and to put this into context, yeah. you know, they do. Cisco does offhandedly mention the destruction of the Enterprise that we yeah, saw yeah, in yeah, Generations, yeah, yeah. right? And so at this point um, in in the timeline of, of Star Trek, they have not. They, they don't have another Enterprise. And I don't think it's a big shock to say there will be another Enterprise because we know there are three more TNG movies. Yeah. Uh, um, but, but at this point, it's been about a year i think it's been about a year since uh uh, uh generations came okay. out and because this would have been the fall of 95 and, mm. and generations came out i think in the fall of 94 so that's about a year okay. so yeah they're they're they still haven't rebuilt an enterprise you know in universe the 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 command crew of, of the enterprise is off doing their own things and yeah. so they're not really and all in the same place to- Worf needs to be less anchored because, you know, yes. that's the thing. If he is still dating, if he is still with Troy, then him leaving, him com- contemplating leaving the Federation is a very different thing. You know, he might even just stay in or, frankly, it wouldn't be a big problem because, you know, or, well, whatever, she'll stay in. You know, that doesn't affect her, you know. But, yeah, now he doesn't have any ties, really. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really interesting that, you know— yeah, of course, they, they sort of allied some of those questions because, of course, yeah, Troy and Worf broke up because Worf was off on Borath doing his thing. And and Alexander's now back with, with Worf's parents. And he's older now, of course, by a couple of years. Yeah, and he's, assumingly, he's not, you know, assu- now now we assume he can take care of himself for the most part. I guess. You I know, know. Or at, at least enough. You know, he's he, he's not, you know, yeah. I will say, and I don't think this is going to be much of a spoiler. Oh, Alexander does come back, hmm. so, but he's older. I don't care. He's played by a different actor. Eric, Alexander already did come back older, played by a different actor, and it was terrible. That is true. I guess, yeah, that that's, well, you'll just have to wait and see what happens <laughs> with that. Um, but yeah, and I think that, that well, that's one of the, that's one of the more profound things about the episode is that Worf's story also ties in with, with the Klingon story very well. Because Worf is thinking about leaving Starfleet. You know, obviously he's not thinking about it. I don't think he's thinking about, you know, renouncing his Federation citizenship. He could still yeah. come, you know, if he wanted oh, yeah. to. But uh, as the Klingons are sort of thinking about tearing up the Kittimer Accords and kind of, you know, giving the middle finger to Starfleet and the Federation. And this is another one of those long line of Worf episodes that we alluded to earlier, which is about him, you know, feeling the pool between two different yeah. cultures, really not knowing what to do. And having the decision essentially made for him. I mean, you know, he was able to be an active participant in his own decision to stay in Starfleet in the TNG years. And this is a very different show. And you know what? Gowron's going to make the decision for you. Get the fuck out. <laughs> I really liked the scene where Cisco 
is talking to Worf about, you know, well, listen, you know, a few years ago I was thinking about, you know, leaving the Federation, you know, oh, le- yeah. le- leaving yeah. Starfleet. And you said at one point that, you know, the show does some subtly interesting things with the fact that, you know, we have a black lead on the show. And yeah. It was very interesting seeing this is a conversation between, you know, again, it's two African-American actors, obviously, but talking at a point of commonality, at a point of both feeling left out, both, I don't know, I found that a very profound statement with that in it, too, because they are both coming from a, there is a no, there is a degree to which Cisco talking to Picard at the beginning of you know, the emissary back in the pilot where they're not on the same level, you know, obviously, you know, one's Picard, one's Cisco. who the hell is he at this point even? Um, and so Picard saying, you know, don't leave the Federation doesn't really mean as much. Him, uh, you know, because they have this, you know, same perspective. I don't know. It's a nice moment. The, um, one of the things that Deep Space Nine is very much a crew of misfits, we've, you know, said, and these are people who have, managed to find their commonalities despite some extraordinary differences, you know, between them. You know, uh, there are very few people, you know, there are, there. I think, the, what is it, the only pair of people of the same species of the main cast are, you know, Cisco and O'Brien, right? I And Bashir. Yeah, Bashir, But yeah. other than that, like, Dax isn't human, you know, Kira isn't human, Odo isn't human. human, and now Worf isn't human. You know, we have a lot of... You know, very different people, but they are still able to find that commonality and they are still peers. Yeah, yeah. And this, you know, that that scene made, you know, Cisco and Moore feel very much like peers to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think that one of the things that's, you know, maybe in this, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but but I think that one of the things that's that's most interesting about the way in which they use Worf in this show is that, you know, fundamentally, I think that the show respects him. Yeah. In a way that I don't think the next generation necessarily did. I mean, certainly the next generation respected everyone. Yeah. But but that's kind of a cop out. But, the, you know, did, again, it was that early 90s, you know, late 80s melting pot. We're all the same. You know, we're all going to. This is a much more seller, which is saying, you know, equal doesn't mean alike. You know, e- e- equal in rights and dignity does not mean equal in abilities and worldview yeah and um again the scene between quark and garrick talking about root beer giving their perspective on the federation and in every case it being very valid you know even when again i keep thinking about that when they go on in the Jem'Hadar episode when everyone goes camping you know and quark in the middle of you know a whole you know all of this whining and complaining you know makes the very you know sincere statement that you know you don't take me seriously you know you don't you know, anything, yeah, you know, we're yeah. only, you only take, you know, seriously people who are like you, you know, you, you can, and I think that that is, that is the, the, the flip side of the Federation yeah. and Starfleet, you know, philosophy as well. That, that yes, the Federation is very expansive. The Federation wants everybody to be a part of the yeah. Federation and join our party, you know, but they're not going to let the Ferengi in the Federation as things stand now. Yeah. You know, they're certainly not going to let the Cardassians in as things stand now. But at the you know, they yeah. want, their member planets to be democratic and give her equal rights and all that kind of stuff. But at the same, which is not a bad thing, no. but I mean, again, logistically, it doesn't make any sense for a planet to half want to be in the Federation. It really is the kind of thing that needs to be unanimous in a way. But I also think it's not insignificant that the Federation is seen, especially in the show, in this show as reexamining itself. You know, once 
Quark opens up and actually explicitly tells Cisco that. From that point, we actually see Cisco being a little nicer to Quark, yeah, you know, yeah. giving him moments of trust and ultimately approving and encouraging his son's friendship, you know, with yeah. the Ferengi. And, you know, to the point where, you know, when Noggin, you know, uh, 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 Jake are fighting, you know, and, you know, Jake's questioning it, you know, Cisco's the one who fully believes in the friendship, you know, and yeah. he goes back and, you know, says that he was actually wrong, you know, in his earlier statement. So I think that's, it's a dark, it's it's a darker take on the Federation in that it's willing to question it. It's willing to call the Federation wrong. It's willing to, you know, find fault with the Federation, but... You know, but at the end of the day, it still comes out on the side of the Federation. It still it well, still says that the Federation is striving to be better than it is. Well, and yeah, well, that's the thing. One of the what was the episode where I don't even. It was a late episode of Next Generation where someone says to like to Picard, like you know, well, you said you were wrong, but you know, you admitted it and you you tried to fix it, and I respect that. I mean, the Federation will admit it's wrong. It won't double down, and it will right, change right. a policy or you know do something different. And I think. That's what, you know, that's part of the core of Star Trek for me. Yeah, yeah. So we have a little bit more of the development of, you know, Yates and Cisco. Um I'm only so interested in it, but I think it's another interesting wrinkle in the uh general things that Star Trek has been saying about, you know, relationships. Again, the original series was doing a little bit with Yeoman Rand and, you know, having Kirk choose between you know, the woman he loves and, you know, the life of adventure. Um, Next Generation was explicitly, you know, Picard had to make that choice between, you know, do I be the captain of a starship or do I, you know, get married? And, you know, Bashir had a similar one to this and this. And um, it's interesting because we really haven't seen much in the way of, you know, that as it's happening. It's always been people's backstories. I mean, we're already seeing... Problems. I almost wonder if the things would have been easier if uh, Cisco had been a standard captain, you know, because then they could maybe even rendezvous a little easier. Yeah. For example, you know, she could arrange the, you know, to do business in one area, for example. But, um, well, I kind of get the impression that, that, you know, Yates is sort of treating Deep Space Nine as her, her home port. Yeah. And, and she's off running freight, you know, but but she's always coming back to Deep Space Nine. It just depends on how long she's going to be gone. Yeah. And of course, with Cisco being very busy, he's, yeah. you know, number one, he may be on the Defiant for weeks at a time, as we see. But, you know, even something as simple as, you know, they can't even have dinner together without getting interrupted. And sure. It's, you know, but I think that that's probably not going to be any different if Cisco was a standard captain no, on, of, on a starship of, either. Of course. But, um, I, I'm I'm honestly not sure how they're going to handle that, you yeah. know, where it's going to go. Because right now it looks certainly as if, you know, th- you know, this this we've been told, you know, time and again, you know, it's really hard to do Starfleet, you know, in a marriage, you know. Yeah. Ob- the O'Briens are the only ones we've seen do it, and they are not, you know, captain level. Right. Um, you know, I don't know if they're ultimately going to be able to work it out because you know it is kind of. It is it it is kind of a little pointlessly cruel to have, you know, Cisco, you know, finally come to terms with his wife's death, complete his mourning period, you know, meet somebody nice and, you know, have a good thing and then, you know, ultimately to have it not work out, you know, just on the But look. I guess 
Just, I, guess, I guess, yeah, no, it makes sense. But I guess the question is, is it is it better to try or is it better to not have it? And well, I, I that, you know, I think that's what the I don't know what the answer is, but well, I, I would assume that that's what the you know, this is another piece. We're not even seeing, you know, we, we haven't seen the full of right. the relationship. Right. I, it, like I said, but I think that's interesting that I have no idea where it's going to go because, you know, I knew in. Next generation, you know, if you start a romantic relationship, it's not going to last, you know, it's ultimately not going to, if it lasts past the episode, we would be shocked, you know. And I mean, the longest romantic relationship on Deep Space Nine is, is, uh, O'Brien and Bashir. So, Aww. you know, that's been Listen, going on for Kira a Listen, Kira and years. Odo have their thing and, you know, Cisco and Dax. Well, and- Odo has a thing with Kira. I don't think Kira necessarily knows that, you know, <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> but to be fair. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. I think yeah. it's I think it's interesting that you're interested in that because Thank you. I don't you're welcome. I don't know if you would have been interested in those questions if this had been TNG because like you said it, the, the implication would be that this would be one and done. Yeah, but we've and especially we've you know they've spent so much groundwork on getting Cisco to the point where he can, you know, accept another person in his life, you know, and you know, frankly, the fact that Jake has kind of set up this, well, I want to make sure you're happy before I go off to college in a year. Yeah. Uh, kind of, you know, we know it's certainly something he's set up for himself, you know, but again, I, I think it would be foolish to bring it up, you know, just only to ignore that. And I mean, you know, so far from what we've seen of Cassidy Yates, I mean, I like her. I think yeah. they're, they're good together. They're cute together. They both like baseball, you know. They just are both regretful of the fact that they are both extraordinarily busy people who, yeah. you know, have jobs that keep them away. But I think in a certain sense, too, I think it's a more mature relationship than we've seen on Star Trek before. Yeah. Because these are both people that are, you know, I mean, I think Cisco is probably supposed to be like in his early 40s. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Cassidy Yates is probably around that same age, maybe yeah. a little younger than Cisco, maybe a little older, but it's hard to tell. But I think that, you know... They understand the limitations of of what they can give a, a romantic partner, and I think they're both kind of okay with that. Yeah, I mean, there's a wistfulness to both of them. I think they both wish that they could have, you know, more with each other. I think they both, you know, if they had world enough to, and time, they would be seeing each other all the time. But at the same time, I think you're you're right. They this isn't either of their first rodeo, um, right? And you know. Cisco knows what it's like to be married in Starfleet, even if his responsibilities weren't, you know, a tenth of what they are now. And, you know, she's been traveling for, you know, assumedly years. So she knows what it's like to have a distance relationship right. like that. So, you know, they're enjoying what they can when they can. But Yeah, yeah. Well, I look forward to the 10 episode arc in the middle of season four where they go off to Cestus three together and back. Oh, and it's just like, you know, literally just them in a thing talking about the different cargo. And it's like, it'll be like a cool little anthology. I remember who dropped that cargo off. And then it'll be like a little short story that has nothing to do with anything. Exactly. It's going to be like a Mad Men version of Star Trek. Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek. And fun little trivia fact before you, before we end the show, Cestus 3 is the planet from Arena that was attacked by the Gorn. Like the one that they were Arena-ing on? Yeah. Oh. Where, you know, Kirk and the Lizard Man. No, 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 no. No? What one was that? Or maybe that was it. I don't know. I get the music. Da, 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 da. I get the music mixed up, but yeah, that was the episode. Uh, oh, wow. So they've colonized it now. Well, they recolonized it because remember the Gorn wiped it oh. out. So they, they came back and they were like, we're going to do this again. Are the Gorns still around? Sure, the Gorns are still around. Aww. They're not dead or anything. I hope you get to see them. 
maybe you do. Oh, maybe you don't. Mm. We'll just have well, to see. I'm going to make we? a ten part Gorn fanfic. You do that, and then we can we can we can give it to our patrons. Okay. Which, if you don't, if you give us money, I will not show you my Gorn fanfic. If you would like to, uh, to contribute to the show and to show your appreciation for it, you can go to patreon.com slash trackaboutshow, and you can check out our cool perks. You can give us a little bit of money each month, and that would be very beneficial to us, and we would thank you greatly. And uh, Richard, like he said, will not send you his 10-part Gorn fanfic. <laughs> Hello, said the Gorn. So wait, I am a Gorn. So does, How- that, does that mean that if you don't give us money, you're going to give the Gorn fanfic, fanfic to all of our listeners that don't give us money? Yes, I'll put like a link. Whoa, so we're going to get a lot of money next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's going to come to your house. No, no, he's... it's not just not all of our listeners. It's like everybody. So no, you're like... going to go to each one of our listeners' domiciles and read them your Gorn fanfic, right? At no, gunpoint. that probably involves traveling. But it would be a good way for us to get more patrons, Richard. Would it really? No, probably not. <laughs> I'm sure it would be a good way for me to get arrested. So the upshot is check out patreon.com slash show. But what if they would like to see us on social media sites, Eric? Well, Richard, they can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our username is TrackAboutShow. And if they'd like to go to our webpage? Yes, and also if you'd like to share your thoughts on the way of the warrior, or you'd like to agree with us and disagree with us, join in on the comments. Well, TrackAboutShow.com. That sounds great. But what if I would like to get new people interested in the podcast? Well, there's a great way to do that. You can leave us an iTunes review. How many stars should I give? Are we going to do this whole thing? You can do five. You can do four. You can do as many as you want. Okay. I'm not going to tell them how to vote. It's up to their own conscience. Okay. Next week, we are talking about The Visitor and Hippocratic Oath.